Hi, this is Keto Shimizu. I'm a writer for NBC's The Cape, and you are watching the TV Writers Podcast. Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for script writing information in print and on the web. And by Final Draft Script Writing Software, the entertainment industry standard for script writing worldwide. This is Gray. And I want to welcome you to the TV Writer Podcast, partner of Script Magazine, episode 10 for Monday, January 24th, 2011. Today, I'm so excited to bring you part three of our Women TV Writers series with a writer from NBC's The Cape, Keto Shimizu. Now, this is actually Keto's first staff gig. And it's going to be so cool because first, she's going to tell us about how she was part of the NBC's Writers on the Verge program and tell us all about that program and her perspective about going through it. And she also has a whole bunch of other stuff to share that's really, really cool, including her perspective as a new writer coming in and writing for The Cape. Um, before we get to the interview, I do want to remind you about some of the resources that we have. TVWriterPodcast.com has a number of helpful links, but also a really, really helpful TV writer Twitter database that has almost 400 TV writers that you can follow on Twitter and you can get caught up with them. You can connect with them. It's a great way to network with other TV writers as well. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Gray Jones is my handle. And that way you can find out who's going to be interviewed. You can get your questions in and make sure that uh, you don't miss anything on the podcast Goings On. I want to remind you about Script Magazine, who is our partner on this podcast. ScriptMag.com has lots of great resources and very, very economical subscriptions. So make sure you check those out. And I do want to remind you that this is a video podcast. You can get it at iTunes. You can get it at TVWriterPodcast.com. Search for TV Writer Podcast and you'll find it. Um, and as well, uh, I just want to mention that our Women TV Writer Podcast is going to continue with other uh, women writers. Uh, we're going to hear from Nell Scovell, who wrote for David Letterman and also for Warehouse 13. And other women writers are coming, as well as some Canadian writers. So make sure to check back at tvwriterpodcast.com. Uh, you can send email to mail at tvwriterpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love your comments on the episodes that have come so far. And as well, if you have any questions for the people who are being interviewed, if you have any suggestions on what we can do and people we can interview, I'd love to hear from you. But right now, we're going to roll with our interview with Keto Shimizu. Enjoy. This is great, and I'm here with Keto Shimizu from NBC's The Cape. How are you doing? Doing great. Well, I really, really appreciate you taking the time for this interview today. And uh, this is actually part three of our Women TV Writers series. And it's really exciting to hear um, the perspective of somebody sort of on the earlier end, because this is your first staff gig, isn't it? Yes, uh, it is my very first television writing gig. Wow. Well, I'm sure it's going to be really, really exciting for everybody to hear how you not only got that gig, but sort of your path to get there. And... Um, uh, there, I was lucky enough to see a few things online about uh, how you got there, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So, uh, first of all, we're, we'll start out with just, you know, where you're born. You were born in uh, Princeton, New Jersey? Yes, I was uh, born in Princeton. I lived there until I was about 10 years old, at which point my mother moved uh, myself and my youngest brother to Vermont, mm -hmm. and I sort of split my time between New Jersey and Vermont from that point on. I still consider Princeton to be 
sort of my hometown because my father continued to um, work at the university there until, you know, just recently. Mm-hmm. And we go back and spend vacations there, and um, I still considered it home for a long time. Yeah. Now, you were a really creative person, weren't you? Yes, I was, absolutely. I um, I mean, I've been delved very deeply into the world of, of comics and um, played with action figures growing up and uh, television was forbidden in my family. Oh, really? Yeah, my mother had helped to found a Waldorf school, the Waldorf School of Princeton. Mm-hmm. So we were brought up in the Waldorf education, both myself and my three other siblings. And part of their, you know, path for how they educate is, you know, is being very careful of what children are exposed to and in, in, in they're especially cautious of media. So television is like a big no-no, hmm. for, especially if you're younger. So uh, it was forbidden in my household, and also I think my mom just didn't like it. But um, my siblings and I would sneak television. So when hmm. my mother was out of the house, and it was a terrible thing to do, we would uh, sneak into my dad's uh, you know, room where he had a TV, and we would, uh, you know, sit on his bed, and it was it was like the most awful thing we could possibly do is turn on the TV and like sneak Ninja Turtles, or <laughs> you know, if we were lucky enough to get Ghostbusters on TV or or Rescue Rangers, and it was like the most exciting, like horrible thing we could do. And then one of us would be on watch on the window, and you know, if we saw my mom's car drive up, we'd be like, turn it off, turn it off, and we'd run off into our separate rooms and pretend we hadn't done a thing. Wow. Um, but even that, you know, but, you know, I, I love comics. We, we read, we poured over Tintin and Asterix and, you know, I, I started in on Batman very early and have been pretty obsessed with Batman my whole life. And yeah, and my ma- imagination just has always gone to this really, you know, fun, imaginative place. I have drew pictures as a little kid and made up stories about all the characters I drew and eventually started you know, drawing my own comics when I was in high school, it's sort of a, a way to get some of these stories out and um, eventually just realized that what I should do is probably go into motion pictures. And, you know, at 16, I was like, that's what I'm going to do. And I sort of have pursued that ever since. Wow. And so the thing that you weren't allowed to do was the thing that you ended up doing. Yes. And I mean, my mother's very proud now, of course. And she you know, phoned me uh, right after the Sunday premiere of the cable. It's like, oh my god, I love it! It's so cool. <laughs> but it's it took a, a long time for for that to happen. <laughs> wow, wow. Now, now I do want to mention. Um, it was written somewhere that you spent ten years traveling with an a cappella choir. What was that all about? Oh my goodness. Well, my mother is an ethnomusicologist. She went from you know running a Waldorf school to um, falling in with this group of singers um, led by a man who became her boyfriend. And, you know, she uh, she moved us up to Vermont to live with him and to become, you know, the co-director of this organization, which runs a series of choirs um, that travel around the world and study folk music from obscure corners of the, of the world. So, wow. you know, I traveled a lot. As a, as a young person to, um, you know, the Caucasus Republic, and um, my mom, you know, has done a lot of stuff in South, South Africa and the Balkans, and and uh, I've been to Corsica a few times, and, you know, she um, she and this network of musicians seek out these these masters of traditions from these areas, and, and then they bring groups of teenagers and adults there to study with these masters in, you know, the mountains of Georgia, and... Then they tour around the country sort of sharing 
you know, traditional Georgian music with Georgian people, and it's, it's you know, totally eye-opening and, and wonderful. And then she also, you know, teaches in, in the States, and they run a series of summer camps, and it's it's a huge network of um, touring and performing and workshops and all of that. And I, I did that for 10 years of my life. I traveled and performed and taught and directed, and, you know, it was my folk music. Weird folk music was a huge part of my life for quite a while. Wow. Now, that, that must have been tremendous um, inspiration for, for writing and for coming up with ideas for for films. Now, you did a few short films over the years. I did, yeah. When I was in college, uh, film school at Emerson, I did a lot of production. I was heavily immersed in, in production on campus. Uh, there was not a weekend where I wasn't on somebody's or my own film set. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was pretty intense. But I, um, I ended up directing uh, quite a few short films in college and um, my thesis, of course, which was for my BFA. And um, and then I had a project sort of on my own that I, me and my friends did um, on the side, which was a, a Western, which was super fun. Mm-hmm. And that actually got into some festivals, which was really exciting and and a, a definite, definite highlight of film school. Wow. And, and tell me about Theorem Films. Theorem was a... Um, sort of a collaboration between myself and some of my closest Emerson friends. It was sort of just a, a group that I formed, hoping that, you know, we would all come out here and, you know, I'd form this big company and we'd, we'd make movies together and we'd all sort of stand <laughs> out into various different nooks of the industry. Uh, so, you know, we haven't really done anything with Serum um, since, since school, but it was just the sort of name that I, I had my fantasy you know, company that I made, you know, uh, the Western and then I made my thesis with. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, you you have a little bit of a blog on the NBC.com site, and um, one line really struck out for me. You left the East Coast in August of 2007 with nothing but a 97 Ford Escort filled with junk. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah. a very vivid picture. Um, <laughs> so, so, so you always knew that you were going to come to L.A., but tell me about how that happened. Well, I went to Emerson, and Emerson has a very strong sort of immersion program mm-hmm. that goes transition from film school and TV, and their TV film program especially, uh, transitioning into the industry. Mm-hmm. And there's a huge alumni base out here um, called the Emerson Mafia, and uh, it's, you know, it's, it's a big family out here. So a lot of people who go through the TV and film programs at Emerson end up out here at mm-hmm. some point. And I decided that, first of all, I was going to accelerate my graduation by doing summer school for, you know, three summers. And I decided that I would come out here in the fall semester of my senior year and graduate here and just stay. Wow. So I, you know, and a bunch of my friends also from my class were doing the exact same thing as I was. So I, um, yeah, I came out here and I had made contact with some companies that I was interested in interning at and went on this big journey as I was driving across the country by myself mm-hmm. and stopped in a bunch of places to hike and because I love hiking and had this great little adventure by myself with, you know, Jim Dale reading me Harry Potter the entire way over, which was really exciting uh-huh. and ended up here, ended up finding a really great place to intern and did, you know, had one class that I had to take as part of Emerson's program and 
they put us up in the Oakwoods in Burbank. So I was living there for the first two months as I was finishing school. And then after that, I managed to get a job through my internship. And myself and two of my other Emerson friends got an apartment. And that was sort of the start of it. Very, very cool. So uh, it, it will, we'll get to the Writers on the Verge program in a little bit. But how much time was it between when you landed at L.A. and, and when you got into the Writers on the Verge program? That was... About two years-ish? I, yeah, it was about two years because mm-hmm. I arrived uh, the very beginning of September of 2007 and then the year I was in the program was last fall, which was 2009. So yeah, it was yeah. two years. Cool. So so on IMDb, at least, I see that you were involved in a number of different things. You were post-production assistant, even on the, the yeah. Tron Legacy movie. Yeah, um, which just came out. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty exciting. And and also a camera assistant and camera operator uh, on a yeah. B, B camera. Um, uh, t- tell me about some of those various jobs that you did. Well, I uh, while I was still doing my internship, I, again, with the Emerson Mafia out here, I was helping out some friends who were doing these projects for, um, you know, Warner Brothers sort of creative workshops. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were making these, uh, you know, web series, and they were hiring all from Emerson, the Emerson Pool. So oh, cool. A DP, a DP who I had worked with a lot in Thornton School, who I had done assistant camera work for, had been out here, you know, a year before me, and had hooked up with these guys and was shooting these webisodes, and you know, just brought me on. And it was just something I sort of did to make some some cash on the side on weekends when I wasn't at my internship just so I could eat and, mm-hmm. you know, do things like that. So, yeah, that's where the camera stuff came in. And then with the post-production stuff, I mean, that's, that was my day job for about, you know, three years until mm-hmm. I got to the Cape. I was, I was working in post. And I loved it. I mean, I loved it. I, I worked on the Spirit, which was a really incredible experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still am great friends with people who I worked on that show with. And I, um, and it was also really fun because it was Frank Miller, who was someone I idolized since mm-hmm. I was a kid. And he, you know, he signed my copy of Dark Knight Returns with a really wow. fun little thing. And it was just like, it was just amazing. And from there, I actually ended up working with, uh, Gabriel Mott, who, you know, started in that in the spirit. Mm-hmm. I, uh, was editing documentaries for him and his wife, Jacinda Barrett. Mm-hmm. And I was actually working with them for about six months and then um, continued to do some sort of babysitting on and off and would come over and help them with their computer stuff every once in a while. But at that point, I had already transitioned into Tron. Mm-hmm. And I was on Tron for a little under a year. Wow. Um, and then I did some post-production. Um, well, I did some work at a 3D conversion house on Clash of the Titans, mm-hmm. which was the last. Thing I did before I got the cape. Yeah. So now, uh, so tell me about. Um, you mentioned in one of your blog posts that you wrote one script that got you into the uh, Writers on the Verge program. Tell me about what uh, was that your first? Um, was it a feature script or, or tell me about that that experience and how you got into that program? That was a television spec script. Mm-hmm. It was the first television spec script I'd ever written. Wow. I had written a pilot. I'd co-written a pilot before that, so I'd sort of stepped my toes into the world of TV. I'd written a feature before that as well, which, you know, if I read it today, I would probably cringe, but <laughs> it was, you know, my 
my first feature. Uh, and, um, yeah, I, you know, just sort of got it into my head that I wanted to go out for these fellowships. And uh, at that time, I think I was focused on the ABC fellowship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I wrote it to meet that deadline. That was the thing I was most focused on. But then I found out about all these other fellowships and was like, oh, my gosh, NBC has a fellowship. And, oh, my goodness, Warner Brothers has a workshop. And it was this whole new world that sort of came to came to life in front of my eyes. And, wow, I got, I got to write a spec. Mm-hmm. So I, um, I decided to write a spec for the show Lost. And it was an incredible adventure <laughs> in research and um passion. I mean it was it was a really fun script to write, but it was again, it was pouring over Lostpedia. It was trying to find the gaps where I could actually fill in some holes and write a story that was meaningful to me, like the episode that I had always wanted to see mm-hmm. and but to but to let it fit in with the mythology that they were building at the time and it was uh it was really fun. Yeah. But I, I wrote that and that was again, that was my first spec pilot and I sent it off to all these places and crossed my fingers and hoped that someone would like it and NBC read it and the people there loved it and it was uh you know sort of one thing led to another. I got a call sometime mid summer or no, it was just beginning of August mm-hmm. I got the call and you know they said, Oh, you're a semi finalist. We're gonna do a, we wanna do a phone interview and I was like what? <laughs> and, you know, I was at work at the time at Tron and was like, oh, my God. And I was trying not to freak out uh-huh. in the office because I didn't want, you know, to give the wrong impression that I wasn't concentrating on my work for Tron. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, and then I did my phone interview. And after the phone interview, they were like, oh, well, now we want to bring you in and talk to you and do an interview. And I was like, ah, <laughs> and went and did that. And, again, everyone at the office. And Etron was really supportive and really excited, and mm-hmm. they, you know, were like, "Oh yeah, you can go see your interview. That's great." And after that, you know, I, I got the call. I was, the, I think, at the very beginning of September, where they're like, "Yeah, you're in." And wow. I, you know, my head just exploded. I was so excited and so grateful for the opportunity, and just so honored by that decision. And mm-hmm. it really changed my life completely. I, for a while, it was it was really rough. Oh, I will say this much. It was mm-hmm. really hard to be in that program and to maintain a full-time job. Wow. Because, you know, I was working like a 40 to 50-hour week and then, no, I guess I was working 50-hour week. And then on top of that, we had these really, really strict deadlines that were just an immense challenge and took a lot of concentration and, and just powering through. And I, uh, I will say that that was a very, very interesting time in my life <laughs> mm-hmm. well t- tell me about the the, uh, the program now i i understand that not all of these programs are different I've, I've heard people say that in in some of them you actually get a stipend you get you get paid a little bit to to be in the program others you don't um and uh some are shorter than others some are longer than others t- tell me about what was involved in this particular program well for this program it was 10 weeks mm-hmm with a, a week of break during Thanksgiving. And the deal was it was twice a week at night from 7 to 10 p.m. Mm-hmm. And the first night of, of, of the week, which was a Tuesday, would be a writing day where, or the writing workshop portion of, of the program where 
you would get notes on your current projects, you would pitch ideas, you, we would all workshop each other's scripts, read, get notes, get suggestions, and it was three hours of that. And then the following session on the Thursday night would be the sort of industry, I guess the, the industry navigation portion of, mm-hmm. of the program, where we would get guest speakers to come to in to talk about their experiences and give advice. We had a guy come in who sort of took us to this two sessions of this communications workshop where he was teaching us how to be better communicators, how to speak to people, how to how to connect with people and how to make people listen to you and engage your audience, whether mm-hmm. it be a person that you're, you know, you're entertaining at a party or a person that you're talking to in an interview or a whole room of people that you're pitching to, you know. And mm-hmm. so that was that was a really incredible help for all of us because you could see improvement right away. Mm-hmm. The first thing he had us do was he's like, go up there and introduce yourself. And it was really hard because he would, he would uh, actually film us. Oh, wow. And I'd be like, okay, here are all the things that you did wrong. Oh, and no. you would like, we'd have to watch this, this really embarrassing breakdown of wow. all the fidgeting we were doing, all the ums and buts and uhs we were doing, and how our eyes were darting about, and, and things like that that we became conscious of and then were able to fix. Interesting. And it, so that was really helpful. And then following that, we had yeah, guest speakers, showrunners, writers, alumna from Writers on the Birds years past and executives and 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 those were the sorts of sessions that we had on Thursday night. Mm-hmm. Very, very cool. How many people are in the program? How many are chosen for each session? Well, there are eight writers. Mm-hmm. Um, however, there are ten people. I know that, that sounds a little weird, but there's because of uh, writing team, mm-hmm. they're, they're, you know, they choose, I guess, eight scripts. I guess. Oh, I see. To choose the writers, and then in our group we had one comedy writing team and one drama team. So there were ten people, ten participants. Hmm. For the writing, we ended up coming out of the program with both a new TV spec and an original pilot. Mm-hmm. And so, how did that lead to the Cape? Was it pretty quickly that it led to the Cape, or were there other steps in between? There were a lot of little steps in between. It was. It was a little, it was a little nuts for, for me just because I had written as a pilot, the intention of which was to be used as my sample mm-hmm. to get staffed. However, I ended up not being as happy with that pilot as I felt I should be mm-hmm. having that be my calling card. Yeah. So I ended up writing a new pilot, uh, uh right after the program was done, mm-hmm. which I felt was more appropriately um, my tone and my voice. Mm-hmm. So I I had to sort of rush to get that through. And it was great, actually, because all the other participants of of my class of Writers on the Verge were feeling itching to write something else as well. So we actually continued on as a, as a writer's group oh, cool. for the subsequent months after. And I think some of them are still doing, uh, still meeting as a writer's group. Mm-hmm. But uh, so I had them as my, you know, sounding board for my idea and they, they you know I went through the whole process again where we you know I wrote an outline and got notes from them and then I wrote a first draft and then I got notes from them and it was it was really just awesome to have them there but 
I really wanted to get that done before staffing season really took off mm-hmm. because I, I was like, okay, I want this to be my calling card, not that other script. Right. So I was able to power through that. And then, you know, I had met with an agent or very, very, very early on in the process and was sort of like, I don't know if I, you know, I just, I just wanted to keep my options open at that point. I really thought he was great, but mm-hmm. I wasn't sure. I just, it was my first time meeting any agent ever. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I, was like, I don't, I don't know. I just, I feel like I can say yes right now. Um, but what happened is that my an, initial sample was what was being sent to people immediately after Writers on the Verge. So mm-hmm. when we had like our, you know, our Writers on the Verge coming out party, that was what was given to people. And I think that because it wasn't my strongest sample, people were sort of like, eh, I don't know. She's, she's all right. And she does genre, but eh, I don't know. And mm-hmm. at that, the, the atmosphere was just very conscientious. I don't think a lot of people were really hungry for baby writer clients. Mm-hmm. But, uh, in the end, I ended up, um, signing with, uh, Brant Rose, who's amazing, uh, mm-hmm. and he and his wife, two kids are just, they're, they're fantastic agents. And, and I also got a manager who was, who I guess was baited by, the fact that I had been in Writers on the Verge. So oh, I, I, I met her at one of Jen Grisanti's mixers. Mm-hmm. And Jen Grisanti was the writing instructor for Writers on the Verge. Yeah. Still is. So I met my, my current manager at one of these mixers. And then she, she read my old pilot, which again, she wasn't as into. She uh-huh. and her partner were not as into. But then they read my new pilot. And I was like, give me a week. It's almost done. And I sent them my new pilot. And they're like, okay, we like this. Uh-huh. Like, oh, well, we'll find you. And from there, it was really about Karen Horn, who is the director of the Writers on the Verge program, mm-hmm. and my executive mentor, Bruce Evans. It was really about them pounding the pavement for me to get in a meeting with Tom Wheeler, the creator of The Cave, and John Woods, the co-showrunner. It was, mm-hmm. it was all about them, just really being like, you got a meter, you got a meter. You love her. She's perfect for the show. You develop the show for her. Like this, is, uh-huh. you got to get her in the room. And you know, at, at one point, I was like so nervous. And I, I'd been on some other meetings, and they had been pleasant meetings, but mm-hmm. I hadn't felt any. You know, and of course, people are like, "Oh, she's nice," but you know, I think we're going with this person, mm-hmm. or "Oh, she's nice," but we're, we're looking for someone with this background, which uh-huh. is not what I have. So I was getting more, more disheartened by the process. And and then they were like, okay, the case picked up. We're gonna get you in there. You're gonna have a meeting. It's gonna be great. And they're like, all right, when we when we get back from Upfront, we're gonna come back, and you know, Tom and John are gonna meet you. And they promised that before they make their final decision, they're gonna meet with you. I was like, great. Uh-huh. And I I left LA because my brother got married in Virginia, and I was and I was assured that it was okay that I went away because when I came back, you know, that's when they'd be ready to meet with me anyway. Uh-huh. Okay, great. And then I get back, and they're like, oh, we got bad news. They've, uh, they decided to give it to somebody else. Oh, no. Like, and I was, my heart was just broken. And, wow. you know, it was it was one of these things where, you know, it was someone from another show that one of the showrunners had worked on before. And I was like, okay, this, I can't, I can't be angry about that. There's nothing that anyone could have done about that. Mm. And this person deserves it, and they're also a writer on the verge of alum, alumnus, so I'm like, okay, I, I, I can't be annoyed about this, right? Yeah. I had an interview, you know, the next week to go meet with, to, to become an assistant on, you know, a writer's, or a showrunner's assistant on Fringe, and I was like, oh, well, that's, that's kind of a cool job, you know, mm-hmm. that's, that's getting me within the vicinity of it, because at that point, staffing season was essentially over. 
Mm-hmm. So honestly, it was like, okay, the chance of me getting staffed at this point, I kind of know. So might as yeah. well get the next best thing, which is to be in that environment mm-hmm. for a show that I love, which I do. Um, but what ended up happening is that I, the day that I confirmed my interview for the assistant job on Fringe, mm-hmm. I got a call from Brandt and he says, are you sitting down? The case wants to meet with you. I was like, what? <laughs> and, uh, it turns out they, they just decided like, okay, well, we'll meet with her. And uh-huh. I, you know, was super excited and it turned out that it was the exact same day as my Fringe interview. Wow. And not only that, it was walking distance from my friend's interview. So I literally, I went to my friend's interview uh-huh. and walked to my tape interview. Wow! <laughs> but it was, uh, and uh, yeah, and I and I got the job. But it wow. was, and Karen Horn again had just the term, just be yourself, be yourself, just go in there and geek out and you know let them know how passionate you are about comics, how passionate you are about Batman, show them your crazy Batman wax that you've had since you're 14, you know all that stuff, uh-huh. and, and I did pretty much that and I ended up having a really bizarre meeting but apparently it went well. Wow. Very, very cool. And, and so you're on staff. That's that is pretty yeah. awesome. I mean there's there's people who assist for years before they, they get to that. So um I, I guess one... I know, I it's crazy. And yeah. I, I have NBC to thank for all all these great things that have happened to me in the last year and a half. Yeah. Well, definitely, definitely what I'm learning more and more is that these uh, internships and, and these programs that the networks do are are just a, a great springboard for accelerating the process um, and getting in so much more quickly. But um, now on to the Cape. I, I, I love the, the pilot. I, I saw uh, I didn't catch this week's episode yet, but um, I, I thought it was great and definitely sounds like it's right up your alley with the comic book background and, and that kind of thing. But at the same time, this is a staff. And um, from everything I've heard is that staffs are completely different. How much you say, how much you don't say. Um, some showrunners are, are really easygoing. Others, uh, it sounds like you, you got a document saying what you were allowed to do and weren't allowed <laughs> to do. <laughs> yes. Yes and no. I mean, it's, it's so funny because... With the, I mean, the book shunners we have are amazing, and I adore them completely. And it's so funny because, yes, John sent out that document, John Worth, uh-huh. and my stomach sort of turned. I was like, oh, no, it's going to be one of those. And, you know, one of these showrunners, showrunners that I've heard about who are, like, all old school and, like, you know, all about the hierarchy and the rules. But it's been so wonderful. Mm-hmm. Like, both of them are so sweet. And so nurturing and I've been so encouraging and these past couple weeks where a lot of other writers have been working and I haven't had much to do because I'm not writing an episode. Uh, John was just like, Hey, come follow me. And I just follow him around as he wow. went to meetings as he was in post. And it was just awesome. Like again, he's, they're, they're both just really, really wonderful, wonderful leaders. And um, yeah, that's, it's, so not what I expected. And yes, those rules still apply. Everything mm-hmm. that he had outlined in that document still applies. But uh-huh. it's sort of like, I told you once, now you know, and here we are, and we're working, and we're having a good time. Now, just because I know people are going to ask, um, maybe you can just tell a couple of the rules that were in that document. Oh, goodness. Uh, no phones. <laughs> uh-huh. That's a big no-no. No phones, no personal computers, nothing to be on your person that could possibly distract you. Mm-hmm. You know, timeliness was a big thing that he outlined. One thing he said that was kind of funny was no sleeping on the couch. No sleeping on the couch. 
Yeah, he said, he said, or he didn't say no sleeping on the couch. I think the, the actual quote was, sleeping on the couch is just weird. <laughs> That's hilarious. So, yeah, just sort of, just sort of weird, quirky things like that. But uh-huh. nothing, you know, nothing too stringent. And, oh, you know, you know, he just laid out the hierarchy. He's like, when, when Tom's not here, I'm in charge. When I'm not here, Tony's in charge. When Tony's not, you know, he just sort mm-hmm. of went over that. But honestly, that, it's just been sort of like whoever is in the room will sort of, when we have a task to do, we'll all sort of just work. Mm-hmm. And so you you had a number of, of tasks, and one of them was to run the boards. Um, <laughs> so tell me a little bit about that. Tell the viewers about um, what is involved in, in running the boards as everybody's pitching out their ideas and throwing everything out. Well, it's the board process tends to come in as the as the ideas that we've been pitching and pitching and, and the themes and the storylines we've been talking about, it really comes into play when a lot of that starts getting more solidified. Mm-hmm. So when we're starting an episode clean, we'll usually come into it and be like, okay, this is what, you know, Tom will lay out. Okay, this is kind of what I want to have happen in the episode. Maybe this is a villain I want to play with. This is where Vince's head is at. And, and, and we go from there and we will talk about it and talk about it and pitch ideas and, you know, Tom will sort of filter, filter out what he likes and what he doesn't like. And, and then once he starts really, once we start really feeling it together and, and Tom is more like, okay, yeah, so we'll do this and then we'll do this. You know, that's when I'll stand up with a marker and mm-hmm. we'll start actually writing out scenes and just in shorthand, you know, mm-hmm. scene where, you know, Dana Tripp do this and then talks to Orwell about this, you know, and, you know, Orwell goes and does this. And, you know, it's, it's when we start doing that, that I start writing on the board. Mm-hmm. And usually at first it's just shorthand, it's out of order, it's, you know, I'll, I'll just sort of up there in color code, and color coded. And after that, once we're, we've really started figuring out where we're going with it, then we start putting it on, on our more organized boards. And we have two boards that are split up into three acts. We have on one board acts one, two, and three, and then on the other board acts board acts uh four five and six mm-hmm. and that's when we start saying okay you know we're going to open with this scene and then i you know write it down and then we sort of go from there and if we know exactly how the episode's going to end then we write that scene at the end and then we start filling it in in a structure mm-hmm. and we, we decide what all, all of our act outs are going to be and then we sort of you know put it together from that point and things move around so you know we'll be like oh actually that scene that's in act four should actually be in act three and Oh, maybe we should not have the scene with, uh, with Fleming here. Let's move it to this place. And then, and then it starts, then there's a lot of erasing and rewriting and rewriting again and erasing something else or, you know, and that's, that can be tedious, but it's, you know, it's helpful just to see it all laid out. Well, I'd, I would think that that would be a tremendous, um, opportunity for getting familiar with the structuring of, of the stories. Um, I oh, know absolutely. I, I, I was listening to a, a showrunner on a different podcast to, uh, telling about how one of the, one of the first things he used to do when he got staffed on a series is he would just retype old scripts from that hmm. series just so that he could get, could get familiar with the, the structure and the format and how, how this particular show, um, laid things out. And, and I would think that you'd get a lot of that from, from writing and rewriting and shifting things around. Um, oh, definitely, yeah. You and and another thing that's been a really interesting exercise for all of us 
has been to see what these episodes can actually hold. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've had all these ideas for B stories and C stories and, you know, really fleshing out, you know, these character moments, but it's been so hard to fit it into an episode of The Cape because mm-hmm. it's 42 minutes of airtime and that falls so quickly away. It's just mm-hmm. boom, boom, boom. And then the episode's over and you're like, wait, we wanted to, oh, oh God. And you realize just how little fat these, these episodes can hold. And that, that's been a big lesson for us to learn from episode two on, you know, mm-hmm. and, and we've, we've finally reached it in, in episodes that we're editing right now where we really feel like, okay, this is the story we had wanted to tell. And now it's actually, it's, it's coming out and we don't feel like we're cutting too much away and losing things that we had shot and, and things like that. So it's, it feels much better now, and and the cuts that we've been watching recently have just felt so much more like like an episode. Like mm. this is this is complete. This is what we wanted, and it's been really satisfying to see us reach that place. Mm. And uh, and so once it leaves the boards, tell me about the the outlining process. It's a twelve page outline that goes to the studio first. Ideally, it's, it's about 12 pages, which is about a quarter of, of the length of a, of a full script. Mm-hmm. And it's, again, it's, it's each scene bro- broken out in order in acts and it's written, yeah, you know, I mean, we write them in final draft documents, the same as we would write a script, but it's mm-hmm. just, you know, the header, time of day, and then it's just a block of action where we describe what happens in the scene. It's, you know, like I said in my blog, it's like a little mini trailer for mm-hmm. each scene that where we get an idea of what what each character is bringing to it and what's happening, and that yeah, and then that goes for a round of notes, and then the writer has to you know make adjustments as necessary before before going off and basing a script on that outline. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so. Um, your first episode was episode nine. Um, yeah, it's not my episode. I just, I just got to help write uh, the outline. Okay, well, the fir- for the first one that you you were directly involved in writing the script for. It. Yeah. Um, yeah. So t- well, tell me about that story then, about how that how that happened. <laughs> well, that was that was sort of out of necessity. Really, mm-hmm. it was a very very busy time when that episode needed to be written, and. Tom and his brother Bill were were assigned to write that episode, and they were both just swamped. Tom was writing and doing a wheeler pass on maybe like three scripts at once, and he mm. had to write extra scenes for another episode that we'd shot before, and and he was just swamped. And Bill as well was, you know, one of his episodes was shooting, and another he had to do some rewrites for, and. You know, we needed production rewrites for stuff that was being shot within, you know, a few days. And they were just really buried in work. And mm-hmm. I wasn't. So it was, I was so glad that I could be helpful at that time when Tom needed someone to just make progress on the story that we had broken. And and then again, you know, he wanted to make a bunch of changes to what we had actually broken. And he was like, okay, we're actually going to take it in this whole other direction. So what we had broken was actually not necessarily what he wanted in the script anymore. Wow. So it was it was a complete anomaly, this script, in the way that it came into being. Because it didn't go through the normal process of a board to outline based on the board to script based on the outline based on the board. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it ended up being 
um, a very collaborative project, but in a in a more uh, streamlined way. Mm. In, in that all the other writers were off writing their own scripts, so it was just sort of myself and Tom and Bill who figured out what was going to happen in that episode. Wow! And it was really an amazing opportunity, and again, it was so fun and satisfying to to write something that Tom ended up being happy with, and it was. I was just so glad I could be helpful in that way at that time when he needed he needed me and I felt useful. <laughs> very very cool. And uh, and so did you uh, after that get to write a full script? No, not this season. No. I mean, we're we're all hoping for season two, and if if that should come, I I hope I'll at least get to co-write something in uh, you know the coming the coming run. But mm-hmm. uh, right now, I mean, Tom is is very focused on the tone of the show and he has a very precise line that he that you know each of these scripts needs to uh balance on mm-hmm. and so I, I he's been very protective of this season and has had his hand on every single script in some capacity whether it's just doing a pass and maybe some dialogue tweaks and and uh things like that he's he's been involved in every single script and i think he's Ended up writing most of them this mm-hmm. season, and so I'm not surprised that I didn't get a script. I think it's very, it's very rare, and a very lucky staff writer gets to write a script yeah. on the first season, especially on a mid-season show that only has 12 episodes after mm. the pilot. Yeah. So the the best I could have hoped for was to co-write something, and in the end, I feel like I I kind of did, but <laughs> and I don't really care that I'm not getting credit for it because yeah. It's it's not mine. It's Tom's, yeah. and that's that's sort of what happens when you work on a TV show. Is it's not about you. It's about the showrunner. It's about their vision. And it's about helping them achieve that vision, and that's that's something that can be difficult to let go of. To mm-hmm. just be like not take not take rewrites personally. To not take you know the fact that he changed all this dialogue personally. It's like you're you're here to help. So I feel like. As long as I could be helpful, I did my job and I feel happy. Whereas, you know, if it had been a, if I had been asked to write a feature with somebody and then they took all the credit and, you know, some of my work was still in, I'd be like, you know, WTF, that, you know, I helped write that. But that's not, it's not what TV is like. And I trust Tom, I trust his vision, and I love the show. So, um, yeah. I was more than happy to do it, and I'm glad I did. Very, very cool. Well, um, I know we're going a little long for time here, so we'll start to wrap things up soon. But um, this is a, a series on on women TV writers, and I know you're just sort of at the at the earlier part of the process, but um, you've been able to get on staff pretty quickly. And and so, considering what led you to this point, what would your advice be to? Um, to a young woman, or maybe not even young, who's considering a uh, a job in TV writing and, and wanting to break in, I'd say be be proud of your passion. I guess that would be something to you know be aware of of what you love about television, what you love about story, and really sell yourself on that. Mm-hmm. I happen to be a genre person. I love science fiction. I love horror. I love comic books, I love superheroes, I love I love that and I bring that to my storytelling. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a strength. So I feel like if you know, if you like, you know, 
really character-driven, dark drama, you know, go with it. Really, really wear that proudly. Mm -hmm. I think that I know people, you know, some people say, you know, oh, show them you can do anything. Show them you can do, you know, you can do dramedy and show them you can do, you know, comedy and show them you can do light drama. You know, Uh it's it's like, and if light drama is your thing, go with it. But it's like, I think that it's helpful to really show what you can do and, and, and again, wear it proud because I think that's ultimately what, what got me to where I am now. And yes, I'm just starting off and, you know, who knows what's going to happen with this. I mean, it's, it's TV, so <laughs> you never know mm-hmm. what's going to happen one year to the next, but it's, I am proud of my passion and I know going forward, you know, yes, just they, they want to label me the genre a genre person, that's fine because that's the kind of stuff I want to write. Yeah. And I think it's good to, to know what you love and to express what you love through your writing. So I'd say just to focus on, on what your strength is. And I, I mean, I would say that to anybody, but I think especially as a female writer, it's important to show what you got. Very, very cool. Well, that's a great place to end things up. Thank you so much for taking the time. And uh, I know it sounds like there's some great episodes coming in the Cape. I can't wait to check them out. And uh, I really, really wish you best of luck. I, I hope that the Cape is renewed for another season. And if not, uh, I, <laughs> I hope, yeah. And if not, I hope that uh, you get to follow your passions. I, I, I also am a great genre fan. So I hope that you can follow those passions and, and always be involved in the things that you love. Thank you. Cool. So, uh, um, we'll wrap it up here and thank you so much for uh, for joining me and thank you hosted by Gray Jones the TV writer podcast is brought to you by script magazine and scriptmag.com the leading source for script writing information in print and on the web and by final draft script writing software the entertainment industry standard for script writing worldwide <laughs>